0: This is the press pass with Chris Ryan.
1: This is where you hear unique conversations with the best athletes, coaches, and general managers in sports.
2: I think you appreciate each and every one. Uh, each and every one is special in their own way.
3: And I play with two guys that uh, they were on top of their game on an nightly basis, and people get spoiled. You know, they they so Manny, they so David so. They, they start taking people for granted. opportunity for me. And I know I need to help my team
2: now, so you know, the better I play, the better it'll be for us. Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the most important things is focus and consistency.
1: Red Sox stumble into the Bronx to take on the Yankees ahead of the All-Star break. NASCAR's in New Hampshire. We hear from Kurt Busch and a trip up to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown as they get set to welcome David Ortiz. I am Chris Ryan. This is the Press Pass. So the Boston Red Sox coming into the last night, at Yankee Stadium against the Yankees had been putrid in July, losing eight of 10 games. But still, they cling to the final wildcard spot, thanks to the aptitude of the Toronto Blue Jays as well. Blue Jays just fired their manager, Charlie Montoyo. He was replaced by John Schneider on interim basis throughout the course of the rest of this season. Schneider was the manager of the Fisher Cats when they won the Eastern League back in 2018. And he was there with Vladdy Jr. as well as Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio. So let's get into the Red Sox and the Yankees. And Jeter Downs has been a fun player to watch for the Red Sox. I'm not sure how much he's going to hit. He's had some timely hits so far for the Red Sox, but doesn't seem to pack a lot of punch. But a guy that can play all three infield positions at a high level, run the bases, so at the very least... He is a quality utility player that I think has a future in the major leagues and with the Red Sox. I sat down with Jeter Downs, who's been exciting Red Sox fans to date. Joined by Jeter Downs, and Saturday night for you against the Yankees must have been an unbelievable experience. As you think back on it now, um, what was it like? And what was the, uh, that experience like, given you know, all the work that goes into getting to this point and having a moment like that?
2: Oh no! Yeah, I thank God for the opportunity. Um, it was pretty surreal. Can't really, uh, you can't really dream about things like that. Like that just happens. That's God's will. That's God writing His story. So it's one of those things that was just pretty incredible to be a part of.
1: And obviously, you know, each player when they come up wants to make that mark where they, you know, have an impact on winning. How do you go about putting yourself in a position to do that, and not putting too much pressure on yourself to try to kind of manifest, you know, what the results are that you want?
2: Um, yeah, it's just about trusting your work and that you put in each and every day, and, and when when the situation comes, not trying to do too much, and just stick to the plan that you've made like in, in the past, and just go and try to
1: execute it. Since the, the last time you came up, you've been hitting obviously at a very high rate, and that's continued here. Any adjustments that you made? Anything that you kind of learned up here, and you took down to Worcester, and now kind of brought back?
2: Um, not really. Honestly, I feel like probably made made a few like mental adjustments, but um, I don't think I've done anything crazy, drastically like that. I've changed much, so it's. One of those things where I just feel like things just started working out well for me. and Like I said, like you can't really plan for none of these things. Just trust your work, and, and God's timing is perfect.
1: How would you describe your comfort at you know, all three infield positions outside of first base? Because it seems like you know, watching you take ground balls at third, short, a little bit at second as well, and watching you some, it seems like there's a lot of comfort at all three of those positions. How would you describe yourself still as a shortstop, or do you see yourself as a guy that can play anywhere in the infield?
2: Uh, I'm not trying to put a label on myself, so I'm just out here trying to work and learn from these guys as much as possible from each and every position and just try to help the team win as much as possible, so whatever they want from me, uh, that's that's what I'm going to do.
1: One of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, each person grows up thinking about these moments, and very few guys have an opportunity to achieve them and be a part of them, and I'm curious as to what the the dream was like for you versus you know the reality of being you know Red Sox Yankees and having a type of a of an impact how does the the reality compare to the dream oh like
2: I said like yeah you dream as a kid growing up playing baseball you dream about these things you dream about all these scenarios these type of moments but what happened last night uh with the whole story behind it all you can't really like dream about that I don't know I feel like that's just Baseball being baseball, God being God, just making everything, like, come together in one full circle. So, yeah, it was pretty It was pretty incredible to be a part of.
1: Finally, obviously folks are going to have a lot of fun with the Jeter name, and Jeter beats the Yankees is one of them. You've heard, obviously, I'm sure, a ton of the, the puns throughout your uh, throughout your life. Is that something that you, yeah, like, you enjoy, up. and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's something I, you know, work with, or at times does it get to be a little bit, um, you know, over the top?
2: uh yeah no it's definitely cool but at times yeah it gets old like you just want to play baseball um and not have that be a part of it but it's fun it's cool like something that not many people can say they have so
1: i try to look at it that way Yankees will send six All-Stars out to Los Angeles. The Red Sox will send three. J.D. Martinez, a late replacement, and Rafi Devers voted in as a starter. Xander Bogarts uh, voted in by the commissioner's office. Yankees will send six, including Nestor Cortez, and his story has been flat-out amazing. A guy that languished in the minor leagues for many years is now one of the best pitchers in baseball, and where does credit lie for that? I think to a large degree with matt blake the yankees pitching coach who hails from concord new hampshire and has now had three years with the yankees implementing a new system in which he focuses on the total pitcher kinesiology diets uh pitch selection all of it and he's gotten significant buy-in and has developed a pitching staff which has the best era in baseball here's my conversation with nestor cortez Joined by Nestor Cortez, and this organization has done a phenomenal job of
3: acquiring and developing pitchers. You're obviously an example of that. What has gone so well for the Yankees in that vein? I just think uh, our department is very strong and very deep. Um, they believe in the guys and that we have in there uh, to do the job for us, uh, to support information, and to give us, um, I think, every resource possible to become that better uh, version of yourself. What do you think clicked specifically for you? And talk a little about your relationship with Matt Blake and what maybe – happened there that allowed for you to have this type of success? Um, I think, I I mean there's a couple of things and a a couple people that have helped me throughout this whole uh, I guess like new nester uh, sort of say Um, starting with the weight room, the guys have made me move better feel better about my body Um, keep attacking points where I'm I'm a little weak or weaker than most parts Um, and then with Matt Blake, I mean the ongoing uh, conversations between not only me but the pitchers and him um are all day long uh i think his communication is very key for us to understand what we want to do as a team and as a pitching staff um and he's done a great job so far and i think he's going to be able to do that for the rest of his career it seems like there's
1: been a you know change with the yankees in that the yankees that you know we grew up watching big superstars and you get you trevino clay holmes all-stars and guys that kind of you know found their way through an organization and found something that that clicked what do you think that says about maybe how the Yankees have changed and how they go about uh acquiring and developing talent
3: yeah I mean I can't I can't speak for the, you know the years before I was here but um I feel like since I've been here which is since 13 in the minor leagues um you know I feel like now we're more open to uh different conversations uh different points of views from other guys um it's I don't think it's just there's one way to do it um and also, you've seen it this year, where there's a couple guys that are, you know, growing up in the game and and growing up in this org that you know weren't household names before, and now they're starting to be. Like Clay Holmes, I think he's going to do what he's been doing for a very long time. Um, and it's 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 cool to to have different takes from everybody and 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 kind of pitch into what you need and the rest, you know, throw it out. Um, but it's cool to have that intake from from all those guys. Feels like this organization is more fun now, perhaps, than it was in the past too. Is that? Fair, uh, that's. I mean, like I said, I can't speak for the prior right. years. What's well, your leagues, time? But um, coming up to the minor leagues, you know, pants up, right. uh, black black cleats always. Uh, obviously, clean shaved has, has always been. Um, but now it's like, okay, show me your flair. Show me what you got. Uh, as long as you're producing, as long as you're doing your job and maintaining professionalism in the game, you know, we're all for it. What do you think is the should be the biggest takeaway for
1: guys like yourself about your? story and Clay's story and Trevino's story as all-stars like what should you know the guy that's in the minors right now that's wanted to give up and just is like
3: why do I keep doing this what do you think your story says to them? I think I think there's there's a guy in an organization that's looking very closely to the guys that are in the minor leagues right now that potentially that organization he's with cannot see it but I know there's somebody out there like there was for me like there was for Clay like there was for Trevino uh to believe in him and to say he's gonna be something one day, and we need to get him. And you know, I think that's what the, the story has came down to for us three. You know, there was somebody in this organization that believed in us, maybe liked us, and saw what we had and the potential we had. And you know, when we when we came over, uh, they presented everything to us, and that's what that's what made us better. How many times did you like?
1: You're sitting in a hotel room, or you got hit a little bit, and you're like, "No, nah, this is it's not gonna. gonna have to,
3: I have to do something else." And, and what kept you going? Uh, you know, I it's hard it's hard to think that way because i think you know if you play this game long enough you're gonna get hit around you know a couple times um but but like i said you gotta take the good the good with the bad uh if you have good outings you know see what you did see what you did right and try and see what you did in the bad bad outings and not trying to repeat it again so um there's a lot of there's a lot of downtime that we get to focus on uh you know things around and uh it's hard it's hard to say but i think uh Paying attention to what you do in your craft is the most important thing. Were there times, though, that you were close to giving up the game? No, never, never. never. Um, I've been playing this game since I was four. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to do anything else. Uh, so you're just going to keep going <laughs> until the road ended. Until the wheels fall off. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like I said, there. I've, I've heard of a bunch of times in minor leagues where guys were, like, frustrated. They weren't getting moved up in levels. But these guys, you know, we come from a third world country sometimes, and there's nothing other other than baseball. And uh, it's hard to give up on something that you only know about and yeah, you have a passion for. So, um, you know, I, I basically said I was going to stick it out until until the wheels fell off. Finally, it seemed like this
1: rivalry was kind of, you know, on rocks for a number of years. And once the fans kind of came back in 2001, you guys were going at it last year, and, and this season, like this feels like it's something a little bit different than – other regular season games again despite the fact there's a
3: lot of good teams in this division does it feel like that did you feel that when you're here on the mound on Friday uh yeah I mean the fans are great obviously this this place is always rocking you know when Yankee Boston is in town um it gets our juices flowing a little bit so it's it's fun to, to to have this competition here and know that that you know we we've been the better team this season so uh that's what we're trying to do congrats right thank you so much
1: Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, he's not pitching in this series. He threw on Thursday against the Reds. He'll throw next in the All-Star Game in Los Angeles. Now to auto racing as the New Hampshire Motor Speedway in Loudoun will host its annual NASCAR event. The Embedder 301 taking place this Sunday. I talked to one of the biggest names in the sport, Kurt Busch. So with us right now, Kurt Bush going to be racing up the Hampshire Motor Speedway in Loudoun in the Ambetter 301 coming up on July the 17th. And Kurt, just to, uh, talk a little bit about racing at New Hampshire. What jumps out to you? What's enjoyable about racing there? What are some of the challenges of racing there?
4: It's a, it's a fun track just with the people, the New Englanders and the passion that everybody has for the Magic Mile. You know, the track is a one mile flat track. So you can race Modifieds, Bush North, and there's just a ton of track activity. And so there's always something going on. And then the New Englanders know that that's their NASCAR weekend. So everybody's there. and It's just a fun vibe. They've obviously done some modifications
1: to increase your grip and to try to make things a little bit racier over the past couple of years. What have you noticed about that? And is the, the racing better now than it
4: was earlier in your career? Uh, it, it's, it's cool how the track is aged and then how the cars have changed. To me, it's always been a racy racetrack. It's just the perception or what people are seeing for the race with side-by-side action or if it's pitch strategy, uh, the track is always a good challenge. And, you know, was it used to be the playoffs. It used to kick off the playoffs and so there's right. a key like race. Um, but now with just being the fun July weekend that it is, uh, you've got to use a sister racetrack and information from another track just to jump in and try to capitalize for that win and cash in on playoff points.
1: You mentioned the New England
4: fans. Like what stands
1: out to you about fans in New England that are different than, say, at Bristol or Vegas? Or What stands out to you about the fans?
4: Uh, just the, their passion for racing. I mean, yeah, everybody's very passionate about their NASCAR, but – in New England, it's like they don't even want a selfie. They don't want an autograph. They just want to talk. They just want to hang out, be your friend. And it's just the New England feel. of Everybody makes each other feel welcome when we race up there. How would you describe how the year has been going for you so far? Uh, for us at 2311, it's been a good year. Um, you know, with a race win, good, consistent finishes right now. Um, and then just the growth of, of our team. You know, The number 45, we're brand new this year. And so it's been a good year. Now we're trying to turn it into a great year. And we do that leading into the playoffs with smooth, consistent runs and trying to build up our playoff cushion.
1: I was reading you were kind of frustrated with the heat in the, the vehicle. And I want, kind of want to start there and then just kind of go into kind of the driving experience as a whole. You know, what's the, the frustration and how do you think NASCAR can go about solving the problem of, of drivers dealing with such significant heat in the vehicle, which has been a, a problem for a while, it seems.
4: Yeah, I think the the key element is with the older car, we had a lot of fans circulating air inside the car. And NASCAR got worried that teams were trying to use those fans to create aero advantages. It's like, come on, it's just a small little brake fan that helps cool the inside of the car. You know, that's what we use on the brakes. We use that same fan on the interior and they took all those fans away. It's like, no, just give us the, the air back inside the car and circulate it. And don't worry about if the teams are doing that little bit for Arrow. How hot does it get in there? Uh, usually it's like 30 degrees warmer than whatever it is outside. So if you have a heat index of 100 degrees, like it was at Nashville, it's 130 inside that car. And you're just, you're sweating away as soon as you even get in it. Uh, and like the air that's not moving while you're racing, uh, you just stay in that that heat saturated box for a while. So we just, we're going to get some airflow going.
1: A lot of guys will, you know, take some time around New Hampshire and they have their spots, whether it's, you know, a restaurant they like in downtown Concord, or like to go mountain biking somewhere without giving too much away. Do you have your, your New Hampshire spots that you like
4: and frequent while you're up here? Man, I, I was with Miller Lite for years and the Macris that's right there on the way the yep. too. I, I learned that the lobster comes from there. And when I won in 2008, uh, it was the first year that the lobster's popping out. I'm like, whoa, this is incredible. And the macros is that hookup. So that's a must do when I come to town. And uh, if I have time, slide over to the coastline, go to Kittery. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's like race mode. It's race weekend. And I have my motorhome update.
1: up there. Yeah, final thing is we've seen Denny Hamlin get pretty you know, squirmish and some of the guys pretty squirmish with the, the lobster. Are you, are you, you did not, I remember 2008, you didn't seem to be too squirmish. Are you comfortable holding that lobster?
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to do with it. Like I'm like, man, this poor <laughs> thing was on the bottom of the ocean for a while. Let's put it back, but uh, it's amazing with the tradition that that started. Uh, a lot of racetracks like, you know, Nashville has the guitar. Uh, Martinsville has the grandfather clock. So it's always cool to, to get loud in the Lobster. And I think um, Joey Logano did it best. I think he got one of his bronzed up and hung on the wall. So that's, that's my objective this time around.
1: Hey, Kurt, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck in the race, all right? All
4: right, thank you, guys.
1: The National Baseball Hall of Fame will welcome in David Ortiz in just a week. And it was up there uh, several weeks ago as they had their Hall of Fame Classic. It was a gathering of some of the best players of the 1980s, including legendary... Tigers shortstop Alan Trammell, a National Baseball Hall of Famer, seems like a big theme. The Hall of Famers coming back for this weekend is the best players of the '80s, and uh, what's that like for you to be around these guys? Again, you know, it's Bogsy, George Brett
0: was here the other night. Ozzy, you want me to be perfectly honest? Yes. It never gets old. Uh, it never gets old. I mean, the stories, the bond, the fraternity that we have. Uh, even though you know we were we played against each other. You know, it's nice to always think back, reminisce, and you know, talk about the good times. And, uh, you know, I know every era thinks that their era was the best, and so we feel that way as our, our era was as good as there was. But, you know, whatever, baseball is a special game. We're all very fortunate. Uh, Again, without the game, I gosh, this is this has been my life. You learn things from from guys, well, particularly
1: you know you think about Ozzy playing in the other league. You didn't see him as much. Tim Raines, same thing. You saw him a little bit in the '90s when he was with the uh, with the White Sox, but still,
0: I was observant enough to yeah. realize and know you know what their what their games were. And again, being a middle infielder, to be honest with you, that's one of the. Uh, one of the attributes, one of the intangible things that all good shortstop have. We're very observant. It's like a point guard in basketball. They see the, the whole field. You know, a basketball point guard sees the whole court. And it's, again, the very similarity as far as similar as far as that goes. And we just have that little sixth sense, and uh, we all have it. Ozzie, obviously, in my opinion, is the best defensive shortstop in the history of the game. He could do things that no others couldn't. But we all had our own style, and we were all effective in our own way. And uh, you mentioned, you know, Tim Raines and the type of game he had. Uh, you know, he for the most of his career, he played in the National League. He was the Ricky Henderson, you know, getting on base, stealing bases, could hit the home run. You know, on the occasion, just a great all-around baseball player. And again, going back to that era, you know, we took pride, and that's kind of how it was—not kind of, but that's how it was taught to us. That we wanted to be well rounded baseball players. We wanted to be good in all areas of the game. And, uh, you know, not that it's not stressed now, but I think it might have been stressed a little bit more back in, back in that time. Each play, uh, era
1: has its kind of dominant player. Do you feel like the 80s had that? And um, I just, just talked to Ted Simmons about this, and he was pretty adamant that it was George Brett, and that there's no other argument, but it feels like there were
0: so many good players well, that era. Uh, there was, and, and again, George is obviously one of them. There were was, was so many, but don't, don't, no mistake this that the athletes in all sports today are bigger stronger faster and the good ones could have played back then and the good ones then could have played now I really believe that as an athlete you make adjustments your mind you see if you saw the you know the the type of pitching and the velocity I think the players from yesterday could have adjusted the good ones and I just think that uh, that's my take and I just believe strongly in that but uh, there's been good players In every era Uh, and there's some darn good ones today and again going back to the 80s or whatever again i'm going to stand by that was one of the better eras or the best but i know there's going to be arguments from every era that's going to say the same thing that i'm saying so the game obviously evolves
1: but when i think about the 80s i think about wade boggs serving it to left field i think about you know tony Gwynn using the bat as like a magic wand and doesn't seem like there's guys like that today is that fair? is the, And you know, why do you think the mentality has changed?
0: I think it's somewhat fair, but I think we can talk about a, a little bit of it is the exposure. I mean, it wasn't obviously the coverage now that everything, you know, let's, uh, let's be honest with you, the home run is, is more sexy. It's the it's what gets more of the highlights. But you know what? Those are fine and dandy, but we all know that those don't come that often. It's the other parts of the game that are more constant. And so yeah, I think I mentioned that, you know, that was stressed upon us. I mean, you want to say pounded into us when we were younger, that's the way it was taught. And so now, not that those the fundamentals are still very important, as we all know, but again, I just think you get kind of caught up in the moment. And the moment is... That's kind of what we're talking about, just in all sports, not just baseball. Final thing, there
1: is a couple ballparks that I wanted to go to that I didn't get to go to. Top two, probably, is Tiger
0: Stadium. Tell me about what Tiger Stadium was like and what it meant to you. Well, it was my home for 20 years, uh, and uh, it was an old ballpark. And I know that comments from visiting players is that, they didn't like it as much as we did because it was uh, the clubhouse was very small. The grass we're looking here at Double days. Mr. Brett field. mentioned was, the infield. It was very, very high grass, slow, and you know the hitters. Uh, the balls didn't get through the infield like some of the other fields, and that was the fact. That's how Sparky had it, and then you know that was to our advantage defensively with basically Lou and I up the middle. Uh, we could, you know, suck some of those ground balls up and and, and make turn those into outs. So, uh, but Tiger Stadium was a completely enclosed double deck stadium. It was old and rickety and all, but it felt like home. And when I played there, at least during that time, it was just felt like baseball, and uh, I just enjoyed it tremendously. Did
1: you have to come in on playing coming in on the ball? Was that more challenging for you there with it dying, or was do you feel like the advantage was? You got to more balls well, going off to right. to be
0: honest with you, it was more of a disadvantage for Lou. Lou Whitaker, my second baseman, because turning the double play from the second base side, he's getting blindsided from the runner. The shortstop always has the runner coming into him. So sometimes on ground balls to the left side of the infield, you know, Lou is like, give me the ball, give me the ball, because that gave the runner time to get down. And back in those days, you could break up a double play. Yeah. But you know what? On the other side, Sparky understood that, but he just thought that with our range that we'd be able to turn a lot of those ground balls or some of those ground balls into outs, and that's what he was looking for.
1: All right, Alan Trammell right there, one of the best guys in baseball. David Ortiz set to be inducted into Cooperstown next weekend and certainly excited about that. Believe it or not, training camp is right around the corner for the Patriots as well, just about 10 days away. From the Patriots opening training camp in Fox for another football season nearly upon us. summer league continues out in Vegas. The Celtics introduced two players who I think are going to go a long way to helping them win a championship this year. And Malcolm Brogdon, as well as Danilo Gallinari, both introduced this week. And the Bruins introduced their new head coach, Jim Montgomery. And they have uh, some summer workouts taking place down at Warrior Ice Arena. Here's the Press Pass. I am Chris Ryan.